Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Running the Bases. I am Tucker Wells, joined as always by Coach Jordan Bounds. Coach, happy belated birthday to you. And happy St. Patrick's Day. Hey, all right. Happy St. Patrick's Day. So, I'll jump right into it. How do you feel about a starting day rotation of Julio Tehran and Freddie Garcia and... (laughs) and Alex uh, Wood and David Hale and then maybe Irvin Santana two weeks in? Rough. Rough indeed. I mean, here, I, I, you know, I feel like for the last 10 years, you know, not having extensive research that we're, we haven't had a solid rotation once on opening day in the last 10 years where all of our five projected starters that we wanted to be our five projected starters were there. Uh, maybe so, but uh, it's seldom that you have it where three out of your top four projected starters are not going to be there all year. Uh, I mean, we've had like Huddy's been, you know, you're not going to get him back till mid-May or whatever, but right now we're we're hurting for certain. Yeah, how did you feel about uh, Irvin Santana? Do you think that that'll... Uh, um... At the time uh, when it... I, I give Ren a little bit of credit. Uh, all of a sudden we were in an emergency mode where our top two starters look like they're not going to pitch this year. He's got to go out and get another starter. I think that was... Uh, Santana may have been the best one that was available. I, it's an ugly situation. Now they did just sign him for one year, uh, so you know it's not going to hurt long term. For one year, he doesn't hurt that much economically. Let's uh, let's project ahead. It's coming up on the trade deadline, and the Braves are hanging around. Let's say. You know, maybe a few, four or five games out in the East, maybe right in the wild card. Who do you think would be available on the on the market come the trade deadline that we might be able to go get for not having to leverage a lot of the future? Or do we have the assets to do such a thing? I don't know that we need to be trading anymore from our minor league system. We don't have anybody at the top of the minor league system that, uh, you know, triple-A and really high double-A that is going to bring much in return. Uh, the uh, Cubs, uh, Saltamachia uh, is liable to be available for the— Samarja? Right, yeah, Samarja. I'm sorry, not Saltamachia. Samarja is liable to be available for uh, the right price, but I don't know that we will be able to put together the right price right now. Uh, the Braves really need to hope that somebody like Hale or Wood just pitches way beyond their uh, projection um, and that Julio becomes a stud you know, right away. I mean, uh, it's going to be a rough year for the Braves with their pitching staff the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think word on the official word on Beachy came down until today, but it's not good. I mean, certainly, you know, even if he doesn't have to get Tommy John surgery, having ligament damage uh, a second time around is. I mean, what do you see for the careers? Beachy is not hitting ninety on his fastball. He's not going to be effective unless he is. Period. 
do you think that what do you think about the the career futures of Medlin and uh, Beachy at this point? Tough to and Venters as well. Uh, tough to look at somebody going through two Tommy John surgeries and being effective. That list is a very short list, where as a list of people going through one Tommy John surgery and being effective is very positive. The list of people going through two of them and becoming significant pitchers in their staffs, uh, that's a lot smaller list. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's not just Atlanta, obviously. I mean, it seems as though, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, the Oakland's uh, young pitchers going down for his second Tommy John surgery. Um, I mean, you look across the board. What is it about pitchers in this day and age? I mean, with so much more, uh, you know, I mean, health and fitness in this country is a, a multi, multi-million dollar a year industry. There's a gym on every street corner, personal trainers, and then the professional well, I, I think um, pitchers today are taught to go as hard as they can from the first pitch until they can't pitch anymore. And there, these pitch limits are put on 100, 110 pitches or whatever because a pitcher can go that length and throw as hard as they can. Whereas back in the day, I mean, there was like, you're talking 64, 65 or something like this. You had Ferguson Jenkins throwing as many complete games as the National League throws today. Uh, and the re- and he would throw 125, 100 to 40 pitches a game. However, um, 25, 30 of them were off speed. Uh, there would be 10 or 15 that would be purpose pitches that were just meant to bring a foul ball and that sort of stuff. Uh, the uh, I One of the real proponents or one of the real... Um, John Smoltz is one of the people who really is anti-pitch limits. And he talks about how there are a certain amount of pitches you throw in a game that are under stress. Those are the ones that count. You may throw 120 pitches, but if only 85 of them are really stressful pitches, then that's not as significant as throwing 110, whereas 90 pitches are really stressful. And uh, pitchers, the, the Warren Spawns and the Robin Roberts and the people who used to throw 25 to 30 complete games a year knew how to pitch in situations that would enable them to pitch uh, longer into the game. I don't know where all this started, but... Well, where did this philosophy suddenly change? I mean, if you're a pitching coach in this day and age and you see that going as hard as you can from day one, you, you just almost... The risk factor of injury seems to be almost 100%. So if why I'm is- a pitching coach for the Los Angeles Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw goes down with arm trouble, I'm probably not going to have a job next year. Uh, Grinky goes down with, an arm, with arm trouble, I'm really treading thin water. You know? But uh, So I'm going to try and protect 
my assets, my pictures, to the best of my ability. I am not going to throw them uh, in any way that is going to extend their ability uh, or extend their uh, capabilities as a pitcher. Same thing is true if I'm a manager or whoever else. Uh, the you know, what is Grinky? You know, I mean, look at what Kershaw is getting a year. How can that be? Um, how can I risk that as management? Well, you don't want to. You don't want to risk it. But I mean, you know, you know, earlier saying that pitchers in this day and age are told to th- are told or taught to throw as hard as they can from pitch number one. We're gonna wait for that to end. Yeah. It's going to answer. And Does he have like a goofy message? No, well, let's see if, some, if somebody talks into it. You know, I must say the art of leaving a uh, or having a funny answering machine message has really gone downhill. Yeah, because s- yeah. since the age of the cell phone, you had a great one for a long time. I did have a good one. Yeah, the, the, the touchstone options for. Right, right. Yeah. You should you should bring that back once you get your voicemail figured out. Yeah, I should. So, but okay. So, we we talked earlier about how the difference between how pitchers in the twenty first century versus the mid twentieth century they all seem to go down with Tommy John surgery, even if they're put on pitch counts. So, so they're they're taught to pitch as hard as they can from the start of the game. So why not? Why isn't there a change in philosophy from that aspect to teach pitchers to not throw as hard as they can all the time? I mean, it, I, I don't know that there is. I don't know that there aren't philosophies that uh, extend that. It seems like uh, Nolan Ryan was trying to project that with Texas when he was there. And I, I had to give Nolan Ryan any credit, but he was like, you know, have these guys go longer in the game. Uh, the uh, whole Braves philosophy of pitching more. I mean, uh, Johnny Sain's philosophy has permeated the organization forever. Pitch throwing on your off days. And, uh, um, and, Whereas and that where Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz and well Smoltz went on the DL a lot but Maddox and Glavin never went on the DL but they never threw much more than ninety to a hundred pitches in a game either you know and they didn't throw that hard yeah that's true well do you I mean you know here we are we're about to we're about we're we're just around the corner from opening day do you put blame on anybody in the Braves system for no. No. Uh, you just think it's bad luck or just... Actually, I, I find it uh, in the rash of signings that the Braves have had of, uh, you know, and extending contracts and everything, <laughs> really thankful that they didn't do meddling. Uh, and really... Since minor is a question mark right now, we got to be thankful that they didn't extend minor either. Uh, the only one they've extended is uh, pitcher that they've extended is Tehran, and he's you know he's healthy apparently. <laughs> Beachy, you couldn't. I mean, you know, we had no idea. 
Yeah. Um, you know, so what do you feel about this year now? You, I mean, you just said uh, that they're in, in trouble. But... Spring, oh, they are. <laughs> but the spring, uh, the plus uh, is Hayward seems to be ready to have an like, oh, my God, I am living up to my potential type of year. In which case, the Braves will never be able to sign him two years from now. But that's okay. He could. He seems to be ready to have an MVP type year. He may just, but he seemed to have been on that verge a couple of years ago as well. Uh, that if the the negatives, uh, Ugla and Upton, they don't appear. Um, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Uh, and we got to play them. They make so much money. We got to play them. They're actually uh, having a surprisingly decent spring. You know, both hitting in the high two nineties, and they're hitting well off the lower echelon pitchers against the upper echelon pitchers. They're not doing well. And you know, Justin Upton's not having a good spring period. So well, yeah, but Justin Upton's got. He's like all world ability wise. I'm not really that worried about him. He's going to put up some numbers. Yeah. Um, what do you, uh, uh, let me ask you before we leave the uh, topic of pitching. When you were a coach in high school in particular, how did you coach your pitchers? What did you tell them as far as, how did you view workload versus, you know, I mean, did you have I The a best philosophy? pitcher that I ever had, Steve Duke, I, uh, his junior year, I don't remember how many games he pitched. Like uh, something like twenty-five out of like twenty-eight games that we had. He pitched in like, you know, like Steve, can you give me an inning? Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he made some sort of deal with me his senior year if he pitched and had something like fifteen wins and ten saves. Would I put his? And I don't remember what the number was. Would I put his jersey in the rafters at the gym? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, he didn't get that. Uh, by the time he was a senior, he was just throwing junk and stuff. <laughs> I I don't know if I ruined his arm when he was a junior or whatnot, but uh, he never threw that hard. But he was an effective pitcher in a in a couple of years where I had no effective pitchers except for him. <laughs> uh, the uh, There were other times where I was, like, looking to make pitchers. High school is not. You know, I mean, we were a double-A school playing in a triple-A uh, alignment, and I'm, I'm, like, saying, your arm's pretty strong. Let's see if we can make the ball bend a little bit, you know, and, uh, I mean, we, we were like, I don't know how to say it, but we were, it was a Norman Rockwell type of existence, trying to make pitchers out of guys who just went out and played ball. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, safe to say you didn't have as, <laughs> as many high dollar sign concerns No, for no, your pitchers. No, no. Fair enough. Um, we well, trying to win ball games. That's it. Hey, there you go. Ken, can you give me an inning? <laughs> the answer is yes. You put them out there. Um, 
uh, looking down the Braves uh, um, lineup, the batting order, uh, Domit comes down with an injury. Significant, <laughs> not significant. <laughs> Domit? <laughs> well, I guess the only question is, is how soon do you bring up Betancourt if Domit can't be uh, your third I, I have... Uh, or, or do you think that by... A month in, we won't e- we won't even carry two catchers. We'll just have Laird and Gaddis. I think Betancourt. They don't want to bring him up because somehow or another, uh, on a national level, he's valued as some sort of asset. I don't think he could hit water swinging from a boat. So I think the Braves are better off trading him for anything. Anything they can get of significance. I don't think Betancourt has any value whatsoever. Uh, I really don't think he can hit water swinging from a boat. He may be all right defensively, uh, but a good defensive hitter who can't hit above the Mendoza line isn't worth that much. Yeah. Um, so, um, thinking about you know this time of year, we're going into we're. we're just on the cusp of opening day and spring training's well in progress. What year do you remember since the Braves came to Atlanta that you had now, not counting the inaugural year, we're going to, we're going to cross that one out. What did you have the greatest expectations for a Braves team? What year that you remember would be the second year. (laughs) I mean, the inaugural year first, I mean, I, I'm like a kid. It's a dream come true. Then next year, and then the third year is probably the best year after that. Then the fourth year. Uh, now, eventually, by about the tenth year, so I'm thinking like, well, fuck, you know. But you know, sure, it's the first five or six years <laughs> in order. Okay, how about post World Series championship in the last? What would that be? 15 years. What Braves Since team? 95, what year have I been the most pumped about? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, the year that uh, Hayward was a rookie, uh, that was pretty significant. So 2010, uh, Cox's last year. Yeah, I think that may have been it. Yeah, yeah, um, you know it's tough. It's tough nowadays. It's it's the 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 economics of baseball. I think for myself is it makes it tough to to you know obviously the Dodgers and Cardinals and Red Sox of the world get you know if I was if I was a fan in Boston, New York, L.A., St. Louis, San Francisco, it might be you know much more cause, but let me ask you a hypothetical question. If you were a fan in Oakland, how would you feel about your team going in year after year? Would you feel good or would you feel like, you know, would it just be a repeating cycle of, I have no idea how we're even going to contend. I I don't think Oakland's uh, puts their, I don't think winning is a primary concern for Oakland. What's the name? Second baseman with the big glasses. Uh, the, uh, I mean, he's like such a star for them. And he's such an average player. Uh, Oakland is a completely different animal than any other organization in baseball. Uh, the worst ballpark. 
the cheapest team, uh, but they compete. And that's enough. Yeah, we've talked about how that all you really want from your team is to be in the hunt. Right. You know, right. That's that's what we'll take. So, I, I you know, I, I can honestly say for myself that um, the, the, the strike, and we're coming up on the, uh, well, not coming up, it's the 20, uh, 20th anniversary of the canceled World Series. Um, that really hurt me personally. Um, no one has to give a crap about that. But it really did it. It was like after that moment, I, I never got as excited as I did those first three years, 91, 92, and 93. And specifically, 92 and 93, because I had no idea that 91 was going to be 91. So did you feel something like that in the player strikes of like 1981 and 94? That it just kind of gave you this sour feeling about being able to get excited about the game, the new season? That's a hard question. I, um, it's just, that's really a hard question. Uh, was I, the fact that there was a baseball, that was what hurt. Uh, did I blame anybody? Did I blame the owners? Did I blame the Players Association? Blame was irrelevant. It was the fact that there was no baseball. Uh, that's what was important. Um, the uh, and I I understood both sides uh, as much as I wanted to be with the pl- on the the player side. In quote, I uh, I understood both sides and. But for me, there was only one side. There was no baseball. Yeah. Thinking back to that year, to 94, I mean, you had an Expos team that... You, you know. had Matt Williams that might have broken Roger Maris's record then legitimately. Legitimately. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. That was, on, that was a, uh, a, a Sports Illustrated cover before the All-Star break. He was ahead of both Mantle and Maris at that point. And Ruth. Yeah. Well, what it when 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 that strike was looming, I mean, you know, I, in this day and age, there's so much coverage. Not only you know, ESPN's been around for a good while now, but now there's all the Fox Sports networks, all the uh, the different uh, radio outlets. But beyond that, the internet and so on and so forth. You know, when, when they were there in '93 too, they were. Yeah, ninety four. I mean, that was so. Uh, Did you know when that strike was coming that like, oh, this is not going to be good. This yes. is yes. Th- there's no way they're going to reconcile this. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I still, I still held out, held out hope. But when they actually did call off the World Series, was it still a surprise to you, or did you think no? By that time, no. Yeah. Well, do you think um, that something like that could ever happen again? A strike. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that we've had relative labor peace since 2002. The CBA has seemed to get passed now with just kind of a, a footnote mention. I agree. I think uh, the... As we listen to this clock. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I think the agreement between management and uh the 
Players Association has benefited both organizations since 94. Yeah. If you were a commissioner and looking at the, the, the salary explosion, um, would you would you make that a priority at all? Do you see that as a, as a big issue? Um, Do I see what is an issue? The player salaries. You know, I mean, you're getting $30 million a year, Kershaw, uh, A-Rod. Do you think it's a problem today? Like, if you were commissioner today, would you would you look at things like a salary cap or, um, or making money? There are I mean, the the salary caps and things have seemed to play out uh, with the different teams that have. Uh, I mean, whereas the Yankees have been paying more than anybody, they haven't won how many. Uh, World Series have they won since '95? Uh, the, well, for the them, Red I mean, for them since 2000. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because since '95 they won, you know, four out of five. Okay. All right. Since 2000. <laughs> okay. Uh, the uh, the Red Sox have spent money better. They've won uh, more. I. I mean, there are teams like the Rays who have done very well in spending. A whole lot less money. Um, it, the inequity is just as significant for those teams who don't spend enough of the money that they have available to them. Uh, I think there should be, if there is a salary cap, there needs to be a salary bottom. Uh, you have to spend at least this much money if you're going to be held to spend at least this much money. Uh, and there are teams that have taken advantage of that, that have made money on the uh, because of the luxury tax situation and stuff. So that's a... Uh, there are also things you need to look at, whereas the Yankees overspend, so, or not, I shouldn't say overspend. They spend so much more than any other team, but their minor league system is crap. Who have they produced since Jeter? You know, <laughs> uh, and we're like about to make him an American saint for having played the last 20 years for the same team. Yeah. Do you, do you, um, on that note, do you think that um, loyalty amongst players towards franchises that draft them and bring them up is, um, I mean, does that arguably even exist anymore? Sure, it does. Yeah, uh, Chipper could have gone somewhere else, uh, and he took less money to save the Braves. But because of that, he was lionized. He is made into, there will be a statue of him uh, somewhere next to Maddox and Necro uh, on the square out there, yeah, the uh, and you know, and he's a, a wealthy man, you know. He, uh, sure, sure. Well, yeah, you, there, there, there's the Chipper Jones and the Derek Jeters of the you world. You know, Chipper is the only brave player. I mean, assuming he will go into the Hall of Fame, he is the only 
Brave Hall of Famer, Boston, Milwaukee, Atlanta, that has ever played the entire his entire career for the Braves. Yeah, so starting from the minors all the way through. Right, right, right. That yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie, I, I feel very, you know, uh, uh, cosmically privileged. Go to, chipper, go yeah. chipper. Happy yeah. to have seen that in my lifetime. You yeah. know, because I, I I I often wonder about that. You know, the fact that like. Uh, for me personally, I grew up being able to watch Jordan in, you know, at his peak of, you know, I saw all six Bulls championships with arguably the greatest player of all time. And, uh, um, you know, I and saw that, a lot more championships uh, from the Boston Celtics and uh, <laughs> what's his name? The center. Uh, Bill Russell. Bill Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's the greatest. You know, it, I don't know. He did, they they won more though. He 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 did eleven. Oh, yeah. There's there, Lebron's got a lot of work to do. <laughs> like, assuming he wins every year here out, he's still got to get uh, nine more, and he'll be you know <laughs> thirty eight by the time that happens. So yeah, they'll they'll never be someone like Russell. Bill Simmons wrote a really excellent book on uh on the game of basketball and the history of basketball, and there's a whole. I think it's like an eighty-page chapter to how Russell is better than Wilt Chamberlain. Worth a read. Worth a good read. It's a good read. Um, but I, I, I think about that. You know, the fact that I don't know if I'll ever. Maybe with Freddie Freeman, there's a chance. But yeah, to see another Chipper Jones, or or just to see, you know, a Derek Jeter again is gonna be is gonna be rare. And we talked about this in 2012, watching the the playoffs that year that. You know, we don't like the Yankees, so Jeter going down with an injury benefits us in that they're not as dangerous, but he's an all-star, he's a Hall of Famer, and he deserves to be playing in October, and, and that's so, um, but you know, there's Jeter, there's Chipper, and there's, I, I can't name somebody else, you know, Longoria and Tampa, but Pulhos. He's a he's a he's a god in St. Louis. Goes to Anaheim, you know. Josh Hamilton, Texas redesigned their whole. I don't see, I don't see Pedroia as anybody other than a Red Sox. Yeah, and uh, whereas Ortiz starts out in, in Minnesota, Boston's it's our fucking town. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, he has a a, a tie to Boston that most players don't have to their cities. Uh, and they're players that are around. There always will be, uh, you know. So I mean, it's kind of I, I'm I, I'm almost don't want to admit it, but Barry Bonds to <laughs> to the Giants, you know, he won an MVP on the Pirates. Yeah, this is true. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I I don't know. Zach Greinke is a great example in in, in that you know. Do you think Greinke? wants to play for a particular team like do you think that he ever Grinky admitted that he wanted to play for the team that paid him the most (laughs) uh and and look at cano cano you know is 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 playing for the team that will pay him the most exactly Uh, and which i think this is a a truism of most ball players and i think if you ask anybody Anybody, would you rather make $20 million a year or $12 million this year? You'd probably take 
to 20 million. <laughs> I, you know, I may be like, maybe, I, you know, I would rather play for $20 million in Wichita than $12 million in New York or L.A. or San Francisco or New Orleans. You know, you give me $20 million versus $12 million, I'm going to probably take the $20 million in Baton Rouge, you know. And there'll be big bugs, but, I, you know, I'll get $20 million. <laughs> I can't argue with that logic. I can't. Um, but so take take good old Chipper Jones or John Smoltz. You know, we got a couple of good examples uh, in our recent history. They do restructure and take less money. So what do you think motivated them to do such a thing? You know, or, or is it just that there's a there's an exception to the rule? There. Well, first of all, uh, there is a truism throughout life. Happy wife, happy life. Uh, <laughs> and A.J. Burnett, uh, who was going to retire from baseball, but decided to come back with the Phillies because his wife is completely terrified of flying. Uh, and... So if he's around Philadelphia, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Washington, that area, he can come home as a pitcher, and he's home three out of five days. Uh, And she doesn't have to travel. Uh, Chipper Jones has a wife that would like to see her husband home, and they live in the Atlanta area during uh, during the season. Then he's going to, you know, he's already a multimillionaire. He's never going to have to worry about money. He's got a, he's got a hunting lodge uh, where he takes all of Major League Baseball to shoot God knows what. You know, I mean, uh, what the double nickel or the double dimes or something, uh, whatever, hunting lodge. Uh, the, you know, so he makes, you know, all right. He's going to go down from his net income this year is going to go from 120 to 111 million dollars this year. All right. So, but his wife is really happy. Uh, <laughs> I see. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, you're, you're right. So you think that that kind of loyalty comes after the first big payday because if Chipper was, you know, still, if he was signing that first big contract, do you think it would have been as big of a deal? Oh, uh, no. Uh, the first or, or big take... contract is a big deal. Uh, I mean, and that's why so much of this signing players now uh, that are still arbitration eligible and signing them to longer extensions and stuff that can be so important uh the angels when they finally signed mike trout to 50 grillion dollars uh that's gonna be important uh what is he making right now i mean they they paid him the most for a first year player i don't remember what it was like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars or something you know but when they start paying him 12 million a year for 10 years uh before he's 
four years arbitration eligible, well, they're going to get him through the best years of his career. Uh, yeah, it's important. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, to- I totally agree with that. And, I, and I, I do believe that because of this, you know, Freddie Friedman, if he, if he meets his expectations or outplays them, both of which are a possibility, because, you know, three years from now, if he's won an MVP, he could be worth well more than what we're paying him. Um, the, the, um, uh, eight years, a hundred and, uh, uh, $135 million works out to could be, I don't think Freddie is going to be that profitable. I think it was a good sign for both sides. Uh, I think Simmons was a good sign for both sides. Uh, I, I, I can't, of all the brave signings, I don't see any of them. Uh, the one that could be the most one-sided in the organization's side would be Tehran. If he ends up a perennial 20 to 25 game winner, which his upside could be, then what we're paying him could be on the, the downside. Yeah. Um, do you think that um, in, the, in the terms of loyalty, though, that this will foster – loyalty that this this you know like who you sign your big contract with first okay uh yeah i i understand what you're saying but i i think freddie freeman i think has a he grew up something like 12 to 20 miles or something from anaheim stadium he plays better uh in the la area than he does anywhere else he hits like five thousand or something uh (laughs) out there and, and that's not his OPS. That's his OBP. Uh, he, uh, I, I think, at some point in his career, he wants to play on the left coast. Um, the uh, with Simmons, who knows? Uh, Simmons, um, I, I don't know enough about him. I, I just think he is the best prospect. To come through Atlanta since maybe maybe since they've been in Atlanta, I I you know I'm just uh, or no 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 uh, since Glavin since Glavin perhaps um, or Chipper even. I never thought much of Chipper's defense, and when he uh, blew his knee out or his uh, when he got hurt that first year. I didn't. His speed wasn't there. Yeah. Um. Um. Do you think? I mean, it, it, looking outside of the Braves organization, um, how much does winning matter in 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 baseball at large? Because and I'll give you my my. Well, this is winning matter in baseball. No, 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 uh, no pretty right, much everything. It. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, um. But wrong. Because think of two examples for for certain players winning versus the twenty million to be in Wichita. Um, Albert Pujols wins his second World Series with the Cardinals and has the most epic League Championship Series, you know, in recent memory. Um, better than Bonds's tear through two thousand and two, or Carlos Beltran in two thousand and four, and. He leaves for Anaheim. 
you know, he knows he can win in St. Louis, but he goes to Anaheim for marginally more money and like one or two more years than I, what the Cardinals were offering. Well, Josh re- Hamilton, a few years later, leaves Texas where, you know, they resurrected him. They restructured their whole clubhouse culture around his, you know, substance abuse problems. They, they celebrated ale. I firmly believe ginger that and Hamilton were doing human growth hormones, looked upon their move to a different team as a way to uh, clear themselves of all of this, uh, to clean themselves out. And because of this, it's taking one or two years for them to rebound. Do you think that Cano is is in the same boat? No, uh, I, I don't have any reason to believe that Cano is on human growth hormones. So you, but the, so here he he goes from the Yankees to the I to think the Mariners. Cano, what Cano is going to have significant trouble with is that there aren't a whole lot of big bats hitting around him. Yeah. So why leave New York for Seattle? You, you know what I'm saying? Like you know he could win sooner in New York. He could win not s- with as much money as he's making in Seattle. So so, how much does winning play in? Now we get back to the question. How much does oh, okay. winning matter? Well, <laughs> I mean, I think you saw Major League. And uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, the, the guy who played third base uh, was in L.A. Law. <laughs> what, what was the guy's name? Burnson, Benson. Oh, yeah, yeah Corbin Burnson. Corbin Burnson, you know, his character, you know, he's making a chunk of money, you know, the, uh, and, but he'll go ahead and start at Cleveland, you know, shoot the, uh, if somebody is going to give you $10 million to be their starting second baseman versus somebody who, and, and that team doesn't stand a Chinaman's chance of winning the pennant. You're going to finish in the second division, period. Or you can go make $4 million playing as a a part-time switching utility player, playing 100 games back and forth for another team. And uh, you'll extend your career maybe uh, – Three more years uh, if you're playing for the team that is going to be in the second division. Which one are you going to play for? You're going to play for the team that, you know, you're going to play for Cleveland. You're not going to go play for Boston, you know. And, you know, maybe you end up with the ring. But in the long run, you make $30 million less. Uh, The ring isn't worth that much. For anybody, <laughs> that, anywhere. That's unfortunate. That's really unfortunate because, you know, when I when I look at these uh, documentaries and read books about, you know, how the game used to be, that was that's what mattered the most, it seemed like. Oh, maybe so. But there was no nobody making, you know, Duke Snyder was a butcher, you know, <laughs> uh, or Gil Hodges was. I don't remember. They, they all worked. In the neighborhood, they all had jobs in the offseason. Al Kaline bagged groceries. He's a Hall of Famer. The, uh, yeah, I'm going to see, you know, today 
let me see. Who who uh who's a Hall of Famer right fielder today? Uh the uh Tory Hunter. All right, Tory Hunter is going to go bag groceries in downtown New York or Detroit? I don't think so. What is uh what is your favorite uh baseball documentary that's out there? Documentary? Well, uh Ken Burns baseball. Even more so than the than it when it was a game series and um uh, the way some... it was a game, like the music is really good behind it, but you know, you don't learn much from it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kinda like Norman Rockwell. Yeah. So is 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 uh the Ken Burns Baseball first place by a by a by a large margin. Yes, by a mile. Yeah, uh, there is one. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember the name of it. I have one that is about black uh, or is about the Negro leagues. Uh, that was really good, but I don't remember the name of the series now. No. Do you think that when you watched the Ken Burns, did you learn a lot, or was most of it? what you already knew, but it was just presented really, really well. Uh, maybe the first, uh, in the first couple of episodes where they're quoting Walt Whitman and Mark Twain and, uh, uh, even George Bernard Shaw and people that are making these statements about baseball, uh, in its very early years, uh, the knowledge of Spalding, trying to take them around the world and all that sort of stuff. I, I learned some stuff there. By the time it was in the 20s on, I, I wasn't really learning that much, but it uh, it was reaffirming of things that I knew. And uh, a, a lot of, uh, it's it's a very enjoyable series from that point on still. Yeah, you argued you you argued at one point that it it, it it focuses too much on being a a love letter to Jackie Robinson. Do you think that that's to the detriment of the series overall, or just um, necessary? Right. Um, I don't think more than one ninth of baseball history should be about Jackie Robinson. Uh, if there is anybody that that percentage of baseball history is going to go to, it's going to be Babe Ruth. Uh, I Jackie Robinson and the exclusion of the Afro, African-American from uh, baseball uh, has a, is a significant part of baseball history. But that Satchel Page and, and Josh Gibson and uh, and you know and Pops Leonard and uh, Oscar Charleston and all of the and all of these people together with Jackie Robinson, Larry uh, Doby, and Larry Doby and the Money Irvings and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the I and that is a very significant part of uh, Major League history. Uh, there is, when you consider that the Ken Burns special has pays as much attention to Jackie Robinson as it does to Babe Ruth, uh, Babe Ruth is, there's no more significant person in probably the history of sports 
uh, certainly the history of sports in the United States is Babe Ruth. Uh, the uh, that Ty Cobb is only mentioned as a uh, a tenth of to the extent that Jackie Robinson is. That's wrong. That's wrong. I mean, yeah. he was an evil man. I don't get around that. But yeah, um, what did you uh, what did you think of? Um, um, uh, the, 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 the 10th inning, uh, you know, cause uh, that, that I didn't think much of 10th inning that was, uh, cause I, I nor did, I mean, through, it was only through the first five or six innings that I really liked the whole series that much, uh, when it was getting to the point where I lived through those periods, it wasn't from 1960 on, uh, I was, it was too present in my life. Yeah. What are, what are some of your favorite, um, nonfiction, uh, baseball books that you've read? Uh, well, nonfiction versus fiction. There's a real thin line. Well, okay. Uh, I read when I, I was really young, I read the Eddie Matthews story and I was reading about what a wholesome, uh, Horatio Alger, kind of all-American boy, Eddie Matthews was, and how he did a hundred push-ups every morning and stuff, and and all this stuff. And then, uh, and I was always an Eddie Matthews fan. I really liked the uh, Milwaukee Braves uh, uniforms. And uh, but then later in life, when I found out that Eddie Matthews was pretty much a lush and pretty much an alcoholic, and uh, that, uh, and all of that, uh, his kind of biography is, you know, when he was like in the fifth year of his career or something was kind of horseshit. Uh, (laughs) the, uh, it was somewhat disillusioning. Uh, and so there were a lot of biographies that I read at that age or, you know, when, uh, I don't. I don't think much of nonfiction sports stories. Yeah. So you don't. I mean, have you read any of the? You know, uh, like the last night of the Yankee Dynasty stands out for me. I thought that that was great. Um, Buster only was a beat writer for I forget which New York. Um, well, he was a, he was a Yankees beat writer, and so to read that to me was was great. Um, and I guess even more so for somebody who never played. You know, I mean, I never, I never played baseball. <laughs> I've always just been a fan. So to, 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 to read stories about, you know, a time period that, you know, um, when I read ball four and Jim Bouton is right, writing about what Yogi Berra is doing to the cold cuts in the, uh, clubhouse for the Yankees. I don't want to read anything that is true anymore. I, I didn't want to. That was it. Uh, I wanted to uh, have my own beliefs about what baseball was. I didn't want the realism. Really? Yeah. You don't want to know? I didn't want to read Sport Magazine anymore. Really? You, yeah. at, what, at what point was this that you stopped reading? When I started reading Ball Four of Jim Bouton, and he's talking about what Yogi Berra is doing to the coal cuts in the <laughs> Yankee But what about year? I'm not familiar with that book. Wait, uh, wait. Like 65, 66, something like that, 67. I don't, I'm not sure when 
Ball 4 came out. Yeah. So, you know, in this day and age, though, I mean, when you find out about, you know, um, A.J. Burnett, what we just talked about, you know, knowing about his personal life, where you you obviously still have an interest in that. To and, and what fuels that interest, you know? I mean, you, you, I, you know, I, I look at that. I, look I at that have as part of the. I, the I only want to see the admirable aspects of certain individuals. Uh, Roberto Clemente is my favorite player of all time. He was a saint among men. What he tried, I mean, he he died trying to help his fellow man. Uh, I see somebody like John Smoltz, and while it might be all this kind of, quote, Christian, in quote, uh, type of influence, his uh, efforts to uh, be a positive influence on his community, I see that as uh, a very, uh, a, you know, I admire that. Uh, Tim Hudson's stuff for... Uh, vision and, and and stuff uh, for underprivileged kids and stuff. I, yeah, great stuff. Uh, the uh, I admire that. Do I want to hear about Jaciel Puig's driving uh, expeditions? No, I don't care. Uh, the uh, I don't care uh, about Barry Bonds beating his. Uh, significant others. I don't want to hear anything about it. Uh, I don't want to know anything about that. If there is something heroic about that some ball players are doing, just as like there is something heroic that a member of the Atlanta Symphony is doing, I would like to hear about that. That's a good thing. Uh, way to go, clarinetist. Uh, where, way to go, oboist. Uh, way to go, second baseman. Uh, good stuff. Uh, if you're a scumbag, I don't care. I don't want to hear about your life, uh, wh- whatever your profession is. Who are, who are some of your favorite, you know, before, before reading Ball Four, who were some of your favorite writers to, to follow growing up, baseball writers? Like, did, were there any you know, Atlanta beat writers that you look forward to reading in the paper the next morning or picking up a sports uh, illustrated uh, or a sporting uh, news and I reading mean, an editorial. I, I grew up with Furman Bisher, but Furman Bisher is a bitter old man. Uh, the, uh, in terms, uh, the, uh, Kurt Gowdy, uh, but, uh, no, let me think. Um, I, I read early W.P. Kinsella books. You know, he's the guy that wrote Field of Dreams. Uh, and I, I really liked early W.P. Kinsella. He's kind of fallen into the, uh, this. he's been compared too much to Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And now he, he tries to make his stuff so fantastical. It's like, what is this? This is like you know, uh, baseball hit Alice in Wonderland, and I, I, I don't really like it that much anymore. Uh, the uh, Roger Angel, I think, had a real grasp of the uh, this kind of, um, I don't know what you would call it, a uh, uh, almost a, a French whole, a community hold on baseball. Uh, in his Boys of Summer and that sort of stuff. Um, 
the um, I mean there are uh, there there have been other writers uh, throughout, but I I can't. There wasn't one that particularly held me to it. Hmm. I like Louis Grizzard's minor league uh, grasp of things, but yeah. All right, last question: If you were to write a baseball book, uh, factual about a time period, a player, a team, um, you know, a, a essentially a nonfiction baseball book, what what would it be about? What would you research? Want to research and write about? I I would think I, I don't know per se, but I would think it would be somebody who made it to the cusp. And then failed, uh, because that to me is uh, the greatest aspect of baseball. How there are so many people that are right on the brink of greatness, but so few actually go over that cusp. Uh, there have been, I mean, without going into throughout the major leagues, there have been many, 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 many Braves that have made it to that uh cusp uh the uh and didn't make it over and uh so I'm sure there would be others as well uh and there is a a true tragic element in that that is uh as american as norman rockwell and henry james and uh uh Henry and Henry Miller and everybody, uh, it, it, that's as American as Mark Twain. Well, um, do you think do you do you think Steve Avery falls into that category? Do you look at him as somebody who was on the cusp? Oh, uh, uh, perhaps. I mean, uh, I mean, and it may have just been that uh, the tragedy that was befalling his child at that time was the thing that took him away from it. Who knows, which makes it all that much more tragic what happened to him. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I would have to look into it, but it certainly was, seems to have been something like that. Well, when you choose to write that book, I will pre-order it on Amazon. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Coach. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. See you, Tucker. See you, Coach.